Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, a podcast presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the fine folks at Double Exposure and their leading game design convention, Metatopia, from which all of these panels were recorded at Metatopia 2017. It's also thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers. Now let's get to the show. Episode 166, Literary Criticism and Feedback. How to talk about the game you just played. Presented by Tim Hutchings and Evan Turner. Just went forward, 
and uh, you got your one chance in the theater, and otherwise you'd have to pay your ticket again and go, go back and see it. And that evolved actually our earlier forms of film criticism, which um, had people taking frantic notes in dark theaters and then trying to then turn them into a more poetic argument about what they just saw in the flickering dark. I like the idea that um, the experience of recording the thing in these early dark theaters might influence the actual recording itself. Uh, it's hard to write in the dark. That's funny. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so um, uh, in uh, the, the early days of film criticism, there's of course the Cayenne Cinema in the, the, the 1950s with, with um, French directors such as Godard but all, and, and, and critics like André Bazin, um, basically looking at old Hollywood movies and saying, wow, uh, these movies kind of suck, but there's, there's these really interesting tracking shots where this, this um, character and this thing is kind of perverse. And there's sort of back archive of, um, uh, of material that, that they were able to look at because they kept going to these screenings at the, the, the kinematique. And so you, you have this culture of nerds who just for the fun of it are really kind of going in and, um, and documenting all of the ephemeral uh, qualities of film and, and the things that they do or don't like. And what, what that actually means is, is they're able to evolve this language of criticism um, from looking at, well, how do I explain this thing that happened in play Right, or, or, or this thing that happened in this film. Well, it, you know, we can use the terminology of the film industry, but we we can also import psychoanalysis, uh, structuralism, and various other uh, intellectual movements to explain what's going on. And that's what people did. And, and film studies came from again this, this act of recording frantically in the dark, um, saying, or, or what I also say is David Morwell has a stopwatch in the theater where he says, "How long is this kissing scene last?" How, how long, how much time do we spend kissing in movies, right? I would like to find out more about that. Yeah. I would like to time that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but, but how many of you go to a meeting session and say, how long do I spend in combat? Um, yeah, right. And, you know, how long do I, how long did this character creation take? And did the duration of that character creation act um, also, you know, fit in a larger design with, with larger uh, thematic propositions of, of the game. And I, I would suggest maybe the more you find the points of difference, where these things, where these, we have a, we have a lens we can look at it. We think of the ideas of film criticism or timing things. Where do those modes fail? And what does, it, what does that in itself tell us about what it is we're trying to study? If I'm having a kissing scene in a role-playing game and I want to time it, exactly what point does that kind of kissing start and end? It's really clear in a film because you can literally count the 24, 29.97 frames a minute, second, that are going by. You can see when things start to finish. But with a role-playing game, there's all these vagaries about the idea of instigating an action, resolving an action, finding the rules for those actions, and then narrating the end of that action. And then that leads over to whatever happens next. And so there's points where these things fail, and that's important too. Yeah, and so it comes to again back to the ephemerality of play. So how do you then take this experience that you know involved you going to the refrigerator in the middle, and that that you had a 20-minute rules discussion, and um, all, all these different things, distill it into some form that then people want to read about? 
Um, and one thing I think that it's lacking in analog games criticism versus um, versus uh, video games criticism is that kind of poetic voice where people feel brave enough to interpret their entire experience playing a thing. Um, and by interpreting, I mean really go deep saying, what did this, 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 this four hours of my life mean from the beginning to its end? And I think a big thing there is the idea of analysis, which is kind of the phrase. I mean, that's not right. Uh, the idea of vegetable things versus white interpretations, which are more personal, uh, that we can have, you know, uh, actually, that's a really important thing I would say. We can have, <laughs> we can use poetry as a lens to try to understand the experience, but then we can turn around and interpret that poetry itself for its value. And of course, we can learn poetry about Lars, but that sounds wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, one, one hobby book I'm sort of writing right now is just me taking standard tabletop RPGs, looking at their, their mechanics and saying quite literally what I think the mechanics, what sort of meaning the mechanics create. For example, Sanity Points and Call of Cthulhu, um, where, um, that, that, that frames the human subject as having a specific level of, you know, spoons, if you will, or, 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 a, or at least a, um, a kind of fillable quantity of sanity, and then it depletes over time until you, you are insane. And that, 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 that is a specific framing of human psychology that, that is different from other, uh, other venues. Remind me of the name of the French structuralist who was writing analyses of things. Uh, like wrestling and uh, political ads and soap ads. Uh, Roland Barthes. Roland Barthes, thank you. Um, that, I mean, we can, we can look at things like really the sort of um, structuralist breakdowns of common things which we have trouble seeing, right? It's really hard to see how we play games unless we have a, unless we have a system of language, a system of something to make us see them. Does that seem reasonable? And if you really stop and look hard, yeah, and, and I'm going to sing Tim Hutchings' praises here because he uh, created this, this crazy archive called Plotomata, which is the play-generated um, materials. Play-generated math and document archive. Yeah, exactly. And I sent him just boxes full of stuff uh, that I had since, you know, seventh grade on, I think, even maybe even earlier. Um, and so we have all these fragments. Um, one, one thing that, that, that he then noticed from my collection is I had a lot of, of empty, empty character sheets. He's called empty PCs or something like something that. Like yeah, that. And, 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 and suddenly all of this role-playing stuff that I had accumulated just in my house and was just trying to get rid of, suddenly took on meaning, right? And, and it became a testament, you know, in the long term to my incessant preparation of campaigns and scheduling issues that wouldn't ever let me play them, right? Which is, is what it is. And I can always just be like well, disappointed, well guys, it didn't happen. Or I can look back at that and interpret it, right? Now I've got all of these unplayed characters that are kind of this latent layer under not only things that I generate now, but also um, can be interpreted themselves, right? What do these ten characters mean taken together? And, and we, you know, because we have such time and documents we can say this person is 12 years old, they're alone, they're making things. Uh, they're participating in a game system, they're not doing with other people, what does that tell us? I'm not saying that's your particular example, but I saw an awful lot of character sheets that were just in this archive, which are apparently rolled up and never used in anger. They're just 
they never race, nothing ever happens. And, and, and you know, there was also um, an interpretation you did of an index card that, you know, someone had, had literally played, I think, most of a giant campaign with and, and sort of like really well-worn index card and like, you know, hit points written up the side, but then like major character notes also in there. And, you know, you can look at this document and say, well, this is just sort of a mess. But we then have the apparatus to pull back and say, well, what what are we looking at here, and how do we then sing its praises, right? And, and I think you know that's the sort of language we're trying to develop. Yeah, and there's also language there's academic inquiry about art, and then there's talking about the actual arts themselves. Yes, it's productive toward making better marks, better games, better tabletops, better whatever. And this sort of uh, uh, academic discourse can be folded back into that, I assume, I think, but it's hard. It's not necessary either. It is. It is. No, 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 not, not the research, but uh, the, the necessity to make it practical. Um, humans spend their lives doing all kinds of stupid shit, and, um, and you know, they make imaginary farms with their friends online. I mean, I don't know. There's all kinds of things that they do. Um, but it's, it, it's important then to be able to have this experience to, to do theory or, or to, um, to, to take a look at something that people would say this is useless and actually being able to, to locate exactly what it is um, or, or, or it, its framework in, in, in some larger um, systems of meaning, and, and again, looking at like old character sheets, but also uh, old board game prototypes, and, and you know, uh, and, and, and or I have a game called Pil Pilgrimage in which I don't have the rules, but we play it all the time when people come over because I have the board and I have like ostensible spaces that people are able to land on, and I have dice, and we we always agree on what the set of rules will be, and then we go ahead and play. Pilgrimage, even though the game Pilgrimage doesn't exist, um, and you know, I uh, again, with respect to criticism, writing about it, but then also saying, well, um, how is this a meaningful activity? Why would you spend your Saturday night playing a game that isn't really a game? You know, and, but 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 I mean, if we say human activities is itself, you know, worthy of study and interpretation. There are thousands of fascinating things that are happening right now at this convention that we don't have the language to discuss. One of the important things, because again, I'm not smart, uh, and I'm not well-educated, is I have a very cargo cult attitude about uh, the sort of tools and for analysis tools for discussion. Uh, and I will run in and I will take all the shiny things, and I will take them home to line my desk, and I leave all the boring and heavy things behind. And that lets me have a handful of, of stuff that I think is really useful for my own life and my own production, my own production of games and my own discussion of games, the way I look at things that I've done and played and the way I watch other people do things. And so I can, you know, there's, there's all these different methods, schools of analysis, right? Marxist analysis, Freudian analysis, post-structuralism. And there's, if you just run around those lightly, there's really useful ideas that other people have gone to the hard work of lifting for you. Uh, and I'm really just respecting your territory right now. You trying to be the chair. I no, I, 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 think, um, I think you're right on the money. Yeah, you know, 
basic Marxism can inform you a lot about Dungeons and Dragons, a lot, right? I mean, I mean in, in terms of extraction of capital, um, you know, sort of free laborers, I and mean, these adventurers have loads of, of, of social and uh, cultural as well as financial capital moving into their adventure oftentimes. And I think the old school renaissance has tried to pull that back and say, no, you are uh, naked and cold and pathetic humans in a cold, cold world and that will kill you. But um, most of the time, your starting adventures in D&D &D are, you know, well positioned within the capitalist system and able to, to be entrepreneurial subjects who can then engage in, um, you know, sort of racist colonial violence. Uh, in the gave us a rock. <laughs> that's what we had. We had a rock. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, and if you had... You know, I mean, doesn't it depend upon the GM, this... this financial and capitalistic exploitation yeah. system, doesn't that really rely heavily on the GM? Yes, exactly. So how do we then bring the GM into the equation, right? Do, do you want to write about your GM? It's, it's the DM's, GM's decision whether or not they're going to be responsible for one type of game or another. Yeah, right? but it, it's also up to us to look backwards to understand what it is they did. Like, a lot of gamers are not working from a position of these concepts, and that's great. Because you don't want the subject to know, but then we look back and we can use these as, as, as lenses to understand how things are happening and how that's actually interesting. And let me just point out, with a little bit of effort, you guys would have had two rocks. Oh no, we did. We climbed up the ladder, you know. Nice. Well, ladder. This is not going to the whole story. Everything's the next thing. You know, that was that was his idea. He's like, you're going to explore this world starting from nothing, so you can attain everything. So, can I give an example of something that happened today, which I think is a deep, but you want to talk about that? Talk about that. You're, you're a gay. No, 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 no. You're hunting eyes. So, 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 so um, did, did having the rock, was that entertaining? The experience of being given the rock wasn't. It was trying to figure out what to do amongst ourselves with the rock. Yeah. Because we, we created characters. Com complex human emotion, right? How do you then arrest your rock experience, right? How can you put that into a thousand words that will ribbon the reader, right? You know, what were the desires that you had going into the session? What was the attitude of the Dungeon Master? What was the Dungeon Master wearing? How, how did the uh, scenario, right? I mean, all, did, did, there are, there's so much lost material, right? That we want this, this, this notion of you, of, of, of Reflective gamers taking notes on their experiences of, of encountering it and really starting to take you know the larger details rather than just like is this game fun or not? Is it interesting or not? The words fun and interesting I, I forbid from my classes. You know, the the F and the I word. And if for example, I can't I'm not I'm gonna imagine if that was an unsatisfying experience, we can use some lenses like we could talk about the idea of, of and uh, I'm not going to use the film terms, probably the way you do, uh, of framing and focus to talk about the rock, because the rock is super fucking important, and your game master doesn't have, you know, a whole page of flavor text pre-written in the box, uh, Palace of the Silver Princess style, about the rock itself, that might show that his priorities might not be your priorities, you know, about this rock. And we can plan for that if we have these tools ahead of time to think about how things are going to be framed, and it might still might fuck up. The other thing I think is cool about your rock scenario is um, 
Okay, again, I'm bringing back the, the, the idea of time and duration. And in, in literary criticism, we have this really brute force method um, of determining when something is super important to the author. And that is if they spend like a long time giving a character a huge monologue on it, or it's like the centerpiece of the damn book, and you spend ages with it, I'm thinking of like, you know, Dostoevsky's Brothers Karamazov and the Grand Inquisitor, or, um, uh, you know, uh, Waiting for Godot and Foxo and Lucky, and um, let's, let's, let's choose a uh, less, um, less snooty example. Star Wars and the Skywalkers, right? Who the fuck cares about the Skywalkers, really? Well, the Star Wars universe does. Everything in Star Wars revolves around these, this, this family that is wholly uninteresting in many respects. So, um, you have the purported proposal of something like Star Wars, which is, you know, space pole reimagined, and then you have the factual sort of uh, dynastic hold of the Skywalkers over absolutely everything that, that Star Wars touches, uh, which means, of course, that, that anything that you make in the universe has to weirdly tie back into this canon concept. Um, the other thing I was thinking about is, um, um, you know, how do you then deal with a, a terrible play session in a way that then, you know, produces something that, that, that people can culturally theorize about. For example, when I was at a convention and um, uh, our, our GM, George, good old George, decided it would be fun if we all woke up naked on a star, the bridge of a starship, uh, plunging towards the center of, of a sun. Um, and it, it, it was a rock story. That was, that was what it started. And, and, and then he, he gave me this blank stare. And, and of course, you know, asks the question, what do you do? And, and acts like this is completely normal. Yes. Like, why, why are you freaking out? This is totally normal for you to have clothes and a rock and all your stuff is dark. Right. Well, he, he wasn't making us naked. That was a little bit too much. And I can go the very prosaic road of just recording what we did and how we reacted to that situation. Or I could go take the high road and, and, and you know, use Lacan or, or, or psychoanalysis to, to say, what sort of sadist? Would put us in this situation. What what is the sick fuck getting out of this particular scenario? And and, and, and there are specific desires that are the, you know unfulfilled desires. And, and I, it's literary criticism, so I really can't say whatever I want as long as I back it with evidence. I think it was specifically like you were saying because the economic system in Dungeons and Dragons encourages like the equipment porting and growth and starting equipment and adventures kit and everything. And I think our DM was like, you know what? Fuck this. I want you to have a rock. Exactly. We're not going to start with anything. In fact, anything you did have, you don't have it anymore. We're going to start with nothing. And it was very disconcerting at first because, you know, fuck, we have a rock. As a thought about this to kind of illustrate the way we might use these snooty terms, uh, I could also take this idea of being naked in the bridge of Starship and think about martial arts poetics of space, uh, which is a book about structuralist uses, uses of French poetry, 18th century French poetry to illustrate structuralist ideas. Uh, wow, that's really snooty. And talk about the idea of nakedness in building spaces, build spaces, and that uh, innocence of nature versus technology, that maybe that's something this person is dealing with. Probably not, but it's a way to begin talking, and if everyone in this room has read that book, we all have a common point from which we can start, which is going to lead me to an example from today, if I can do this really fast. I have a 
completely ridiculous card game, which is so decadent, I'm ashamed to even speak anything else of it, but we played it. Uh, we had such a good group of playtesters, we had some extra time, so we played it. And we were, couldn't understand why it was awful and why it was enjoyable, because it had both of these characteristics. And I said, so I said, well, you know, the idea of semiotics, we have these empty signifiers, and, and the, another person, one other person at the table said, holy fuck, and we had this discussion using the terminology of semiology, and, uh, you know, hey, the syntagmatic paradigm is really awesome to talk about. And we high-fived each other. And this is, the this is the beautiful part, is I solved it. That made me understand this point. We had a discussion using jargon, which the super specific certain concepts about language and helped me understand the game. And it was a perfect example of why I want to do this today. But now, I'm going to sidestep. And I wrote this down to really highlight the thing. Uh, Crispin, um, Edmund Crispin wrote a book called The uh, Moving Toy Shop in 1945. And it's about Oxford Dons and professors who have mysteries, the mysteries that they solve. And one of the characters is quoting Swinburne, and I, I don't know if Swinburne can know if it's ironic or not, but the character he quotes it to, who is a local who's not educated, says, that's very rude to do because you know I don't know anything about Swinburne. And I like totally high-five that literary character because it's at the same time, these things are incredibly useful, but the jargon, jargon is exclusionary, right? It's what Masons use to make sure their walls are straight. And I don't make walls straight for a living, so I don't have to know that jargon, but if a bunch of Masons are using it around me, it's a little bit rude. So it's really hard to make these discussion tools, tools that are universal. I've for a long time. It's fine. I, I, I wrote a chapter on uh, fan and uh, designer theorizing for the role-playing studies handbook for, for Rutledge. It's coming out in 2019. It's too expensive for you to move forward. But, uh, <laughs> we, we hope to have an inexpensive ebook ready for you. Um, and uh, what, what we looked at was, was that role-playing theory from the late 60s to the present. And uh, what, we, what we simply found is that um, because of this barrier of entry where the language you actually need in order to, to begin to um, get at the thing you want to talk about is not accessible to everybody, and there's always people who are coming on board that you just have the same damn design discussion over and over and over again. And of course, then, then because it, because people are having the same player motivation uh, discussions, for example, uh, Jeff Perrin's Warriors versus Gamers from 1970, where um, there are those who like to play games, and they're concerned about uh, the, the actual uh, circumstances of the war and simulating those and those who just like the game and, uh, and want a balanced game, right? A quote-unquote balanced game. And these are all like aesthetic categories that, um, that, that came up and then and you can trace this player motivation theory to like gameism, narrativism, simulationism and all these different sort of... And it's the same sort of seeking of why, why do players um, have, you know, come to a table to, with doing different motivations, and then of course, whenever this discussion is raised, then people say, "Well, players aren't that simple." We're like, "Yep, these are ideal types where we, we generate the language in order for us to even have a discussion." Um, and so it's important for um, things to, to to move along that uh, you know, basically. You're going to be trapped in this kind of prison house of all the previous topics unless you figure out a forum and a language to transcend it. And that's why I just pick up shiny things and I slither out of the room and I avoid people with doctorates. 
Yeah. Just it, it, I have a this chair right now, which is why I, I can't run away, you know, from a real doctor holder. No, but being a real doctor holder also means you have to be humble before your material, right? And you don't you don't speak, it speaks, right? And, and, and then you I'm an it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and so your material um, you know, is, is, is what you're recording and the way what you analyze. And so what I really think is impressive is how much ephemera and ephemeral play we are generating right now in this moment and how little of it is captured, even if people are, are doing Twitch. Um, good, good, yes, of course, but, but, but Twitch, yeah, Twitch casts and podcasts and, and video, et cetera. Um, but I mean, captured in terms of humans sitting down and making meaning out of it. Um, you know, some people do fan art for their campaigns, um, or that, which which I love to watch. You know, fan art, um, map making, these these kinds of crafts. Um, how many people are then coming back and saying, "Well, what does all this mean? Right? What does my campaign do beyond my own personal story?" And and that I think in order for us to get to a point where you know. You'll, you'll have a glossy magazine of high art criticism about RPGs, which, which may or may not be desirable, I would but maybe no one else. Um, you know, or, or even higher criticism of board games and card games and dice games, which I also, you know, in analog game studies have the capacity to, um, you know, we see those essays crossing our desk, and I, and I literally think it's, it's super easy for people to point out social dynamics like race, class, gender, sort of those sort of sexuality politics, it's hard then to articulate those within a larger uh, framework of informed of different um, uh, sort of game design dimensions as well as structural paradigms, right? So, so you have to like be in the trenches and saying, here's how design works, and here are all the different sort of subconscious elements of design. And on the other hand, to, to take a step back and be like, ah, oh, they exist in society. What do we do with them? One, the important moment with a lot of criticism is when it starts to pull back and inform the things, right? Yeah. And that's when criticism justifies its. Uh, I don't know if I can say that. When criticism justifies its making, when it begins to be valuable to think and study. Um, yeah, and, 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 and no, I think you've got you, you've got a point where the um, the, the, the criticism has to be honest, right? It has to be you know from the heart and you know, interpretive to some degree, and that's when that's when then it allows you to. Go back and we look at the thing that you're doing, and then you should do the thing. I, I, I think it was Robert Rauschenberg, who was uh, an artist, visual artist in the 60s, who said, uh, Artists need art critics like uh, Bernstein or Intelligence. And that was a really, you know, not, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, for and, people to appreciate them? Well, yeah, they don't. Uh, the that's the thing, artists don't need or Intelligence, and they're using artists to need art critics. But there's a thing, there's a discourse though, that happens in the fine arts, and uh, criticism folds over and it begins to influence the art itself, right? You know, uh, Clement Greenbergs, who are, had an incredible amount of impact on the way people made art and what art was being made. You would literally say, this should be blue, and an artist would make something blue, and that's a real example, I can't put the name on it. Um, uh, and so, how does that happen? How do we make the criticism and, ex and recording and study of games pulled back into the making of games in a new school way. You can't make it happen, but um, in, in, in some ways, uh, for me, especially with this uh, smaller book I'm doing for McFarland, I definitely am attempting to 
So in small scale form, right? What does combat in D&D mean? What do sanity points mean in Call of Cthulhu, right? Um, uh, how, how does generic point allocation of character traits in, in, in so-called universal RPGs make them universal, right? And, and this idea of buying things, right? I'm buying more dexterity by chopping off my character's left arm, which is literally something that happens in GURPS. So you, you, you read the rule, right? You, you give yourself, you know, and, and that's an incredibly weird cultural decision, right? I mean, where it's built into specific cultural logics. And, and so in making notes for this book, because it's still very, you know, notes, it's just notes, right, at this point, but it's, there's, there's the, there's then trying to, to say, well, what evidence do I have of this point? Well, you go back to actual play, and not only do you go back to actual play saying he said, she said, but saying, here's what this meant to me at the, at the time, right? Um, you know, my, my character lost all of his insanity points when he stared to the center of the sun, and therefore, when he was naked and on the bridge, he could do nothing but gibber. I want to have the wisdom of a thousand larks to still into a little beverage I can drink, and then have all of that, you know, accessible for whatever I make the thousand of first form. Yeah, and you know, the thing is, those tools can be made into beverages. Yeah, and the trouble, of course, is it has to go to the lens of the person who's doing the recording in the, in the boiling now, and uh, they're a boring Marxist, and they don't value what I value, it's the only thing I have to do on, so it changes the way I make this. Well, to do a, a Marxist meta-commentary on that, you you are, uh, you know, that you kind of have to be a salaried RPG or a board game critic in order for you to be able to have this kind of level of criticism. But at the same time, there's no, there won't be those jobs. There are people who have those jobs in video games. Period. Right? There are the, there are the Brennan Keogs and... Um, you mean Manchester or People who write interpretive criticism of video games <laughs> and whose interpretive criticism then feeds directly back into the design. We should look on that with envy um, and figure out the means through which uh, we can do, do the same for analog games. And I think, you know, beyond a fan publication, but also to make it less fanish, right? To, to, to not uh, make it so internal as to shut others out, but to still create a, a shared language that, uh, that, that does open up the, the possibilities of mechanics. We're speaking in crash generalities, but, but I think, you know, the, the, the goal of this panel is also to give everyone a jolt and, and push us in a, in a, in, in a specific um, creative direction rather than uh, give everyone all the answers to what, we, what we're posing. I like the idea of the discourse about arts and, 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 and a building of the body of criticism, the body of study, uh, which helps us, you know, isolate the importance of the Jason Morning Stars so we can cast them down and uh, melt the statue and make something better. Because uh, there's so much stuff that happens that doesn't get understood and recorded and shared. There's so many arts to report that I never get to play or even read. Well, um, one, one. Um LARP that I've been involved with that's produced an inordinate amount of literary uh, meditation is Just a Little Love, which is the, the um, uh, LARP about three consecutive years, 82, 83, 84, 
war um, uh, in the, the New York gay and I would say alternative communities uh, right as HIV and AIDS are hitting. And you play out basically three sort of raucous parties that then um, end each day with this sort of meta scene of the lottery of death. And then we see that we lost from the community. And of course, like this, this game created by Norwegian designers Tana Grasmo and Torquetel Edlund in 2011 is now so ran in the USA, and I think that was the sixth run. There's a seventh run in Finland happening um, in spring of next year. Every run produces at least six to ten essays written by random people about their experience, right? And not only that, but I've read most of these essays, and they all are the freaking same. Right? Or rather that they have so many because the design is what it is and people want to describe that design as feeding into their own experience. And, and, and I think that's wonderful, but that's just the one LARP. And I, I'm not seeing that level of criticism then, you know, applied to all these other games um, where, where people have made serious notes. And, and Just a Little Lemon is just so powerful and people have so many emotions afterwards, they have to get it out through writing, but I think, you know, does that mean that the rest of the LARPs that we're generating are, you know, not worth our, our time? Is it possible that part of the reason Just a Little Love gets so much attention word-wise is because it itself is based on a phenomenon which has had a lot of words spent on it? It could be, right? It, but, but I also think um, one of the reasons why we ran it in the USA um, in, in August was from the strength of the design itself. That all the characters, that the, the characters in Just a Little Lovin' lie to themselves very well, right? These are, these are very human characters who, are, who all have a way in which, in a crisis situation, they're going to tell themselves these types of falsehoods. And that feels so real to me. That, that then I think people want to, at the end, sort through what their player experience was, what lies their character told to themselves, and then what actually sort of happened within the game. And, you know, trying to even separate these different levels. But, you know, I'm thinking of all of the amount of content we have in the Golden Cobras over the years. And like, you know, for example, last year we had, I think, 70 games submitted, most of them about dinosaurs. Um, and I, I've heard almost nothing about what yep. anyone played. And, 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 and so I'm like, well, what does that mean? Was it a shitty year? What, was, what did we do wrong? But then I'm like, no, I mean, I think we don't have the capacity for us to read the critique or the, or the, the interpretation of last year's set of games and have a sort of meta-analysis of what, what was there. One I'll offer another thought um, and, uh, is the idea that uh, games like Just a Little Loving uh, match so many things, these various universal castle arts in Europe are really, really, ex they're not really, really expensive, but they're expensive, right? They cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars to attend, and that's something that makes the people who have the money and luxury to do that, are those people more likely to write about things and to have the... The, I don't know, that's just another way to think about it. The, well, the games that are getting a lot of, of, of attention also cost money. It now costs money, but, but usually then educated people play them, and it's the educated people who are writing the pieces, right? People with, with at least graduate degrees, if not um, doctorates. And if you repeat them, there's a larger audience. A lot of these are one-off. You know yeah. that there's eight or nine iterations. Yeah. You know at least there's an audience for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agreed.
should we ask if there's anything that people want to talk about? And then yeah. we start winding up. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with this sentiment because we've talked like longer than we thought we would. Oh, yeah, we're sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. I don't know if you're sorry. I don't know. And is there anything that was interesting that we should expand on? That's what I wanted to hear. Uh, I'm going to say one last thing about my own practice. Um, I make games that I think are strange and aren't like other games. And uh, that's part of the reason I make games. I don't need to make games as they're trying games like what I'm going to make. Um, but part of my game making comes out of my own background and interest and uh, a deep dedication, a deep read, a deep interest in uh, high minimalism and uh, art and architecture coming out of the 1960s and 70s, especially second generation minimalism, which is a weirdly broke, which is another strange thing. And that lessons I get out of that, standing in front of Mark Rothko, uh, and letting it fill my entire field of vision all the way to the sides has a direct impact on the way I think about making stuff, about making games. And the way I make games affects the way I move the world, and the way I think about art and everything, all that stuff bundles up. And partially that's because I'm taking a very strange, very specific, I think, idea about uh, how culture works, how painting works, how we make sculptures, how we pile up pieces of metal, and then I'm applying it in the worst possible way to the way we think about making games, the way we communicate, the way we push things around on the table. Uh, and those two things don't work, but if you put a can maybe into a shredder machine, uh, you're going to get something novel out of it, even if it's useless. So uh, that's a point where, again, acting irresponsibly with knowledge, not using it properly, uh, is the beginning of every awesome zombie movie, you know? Yeah, and, and um, from my perspective, my, my, my big influences are uh, German Expressionist film, uh, specifically, you know, specifically uh, Captain and Dr. Caligari and, and Nosferatu and, and those, those sorts of things. So basically, um, characters that are over the top and have wildly um, irrational motivations that they then pursue to their own stupid, dangerous ends. But then also um, East German cinema, right? Because I'm a scholar of East German cinema, and so I look at also the um, kind of so social abandonment of everybody, and, and that no one is just you know a, a perfect hero or something. But they all come from somewhere. They come from a village. Which village? Uh, what do their parents earn? And, and these kinds of questions. And those are, those are always part sort of the two parallel movements that I'm, I'm moving through. This kind of psycho. Um, psycho even somatic space of, of the contorted bodies of expressionism mixed with kind of a Marxist uh, social sentiment and what that does is of course make games that 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 are not entirely palatable to American or the Nordic audiences that I that I write them for right and and, and so some of the time people are like well that was weird or my character and motivation was weird and I was like that's modernism folks I mean like, you know, modernism is just putting two elements that don't seem like they should belong together next to each other and then giving no explanation and walking away. And, and that's a you know, like basic summary of, of, of modernism for my students, but I also think it works also to look at my own art and say, you know, I made this scene last an hour because it lasts an hour. I mean, sorry, you'll be bored during the scene. And that's the point. And I was not, I'm not actually trying to make you feel bad, I'm trying to make you feel time. Right, so, it, it, it could be.
could be it could be snobby. Yeah, you could say, oh, that's very harsh, but you don't have to play this game. You don't have to play this stuff. And then the la- I think maybe the last thing, and of course you can respond, but the last thing I want to say is I played your game Metropolis um, four or five months ago, three or four months ago, uh, which is based on the movie Metropolis. As uh, a silent movie, you've probably seen it. Robot lady turns dances sexy. Um, Excuses workers to want dance. Uh, and I played it with people who were an entire range of educational backgrounds, and all of us got different things out of it. And that's really, really important because if all of us had a perfect fixed uh, understanding of, uh, of, of German film history, then we would all have the same experience, and that's stupid and useful and a waste of time. Uh, and if we don't help, but we have all these different people. And one of my big things is. Ignorance is actually really important. It's part of the reason I specifically don't myself learn certain things, so I can fumble through them on my own and make dumb mistakes. Yeah, I think that I developed Metropolis because I hate the ending of the actual movie, but, but I didn't want to then create my own ending, but wanted other people to generate their own ending, and not, not with their minds, but with their bodies. And so it's a very physical game. And when I finally got to play it, I think Emily Care Boss ran for me in 2013 or something, and I finally got to play it. And my, my first thought was like, fuck, this is the most exhausting game I've ever played. What is, <laughs> and I, I got really angry at the designer. Um, but, but no, I mean, like, my thoughts after playing my own game a lot, not like, oh, this is profound, but like, I'm exhausted and pissed off and what the hell, and so, so and remember, you have human emotions that you're responding to the games, and there is no, there's no emotion that's more valid than another, and we should use our language then to capture um, these things we're thinking about and, and feeling um, with these, these weird things we call games. So I really, really do appreciate you coming out and, um, and listening to us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you all. His hands were sweaty. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this, this, is, this is good. Stare at the waveform. There they are. It's all but appearing. This is not your equipment. This is this is, else. this is this is Metatopia's yeah. equipment. Gotcha. And like like Tim's archive, it's just mm-hmm. it's there. just there, right? It should go on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. Well, what do you want to hear again? Uh, all of it. We can just know, replay. My brain is melted. Yeah, you know, <laughs> for a little more academic. Oh, I, I, you know, yeah. Oh, more academic training. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we were we, we were dropping names a lot, but that's because we we often are not allowed to. Yeah, sure. I was dropping them to show there. off. Yeah. To exert dominance. So really yeah. Well, I I came in with the uh, with a completely different uh, expectation of criticism. Uh, so it could have been it, it changed a little bit because we lost panel members and so we 
decided to self-indulgeify ourselves. Self-indulge, perhaps. Yeah. But, yeah but, 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 I mean, that's the thing. is we're, We both are connoisseurs of the esoteric, and, and, and there's always, you know, there's always these languages of either it has to be beautiful, fun, or commercially viable. And what do I do with anything that doesn't ever fit into those categories, right? And... And, and, and so we start there, right? I played this thing and it wasn't fun and it was kind of an ugly experience and it won't sell. You need, dec you need to make the people more decadent so they accept things outside of that trying. Yeah. What, what did you expect to hear? Uh, so, what so did you want to hear? Well, so this is the first time I've been to this convention. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've been to Gen Con, which in that experience is simply yeah. sitting at the table. Recreational, uh, whereas this one is different. The expectation is to sit down and get back, get back some, some yeah. feedback, some analysis. Yeah. And that was really as uh, that's what I thought the panel was going to speak towards was, which I, I guess is really the same thing, uh, but in a much more like layman manner. Like, oh, you know, what's a way to articulate useful feedback? Or, like sort of useful because not necessarily rigorous academic criticism. Uh, yeah, that was part of part of what I wanted. To, part of what I was thinking I was going to cover in the original version. Uh, there's the idea of there's of I have two kinds of criticism I use that are effective, and they're both very different. Uh, and one of them is where you ask questions. You ask what people want to know, and you ask questions. And you push back with ideas, but you don't suggest anything. And uh, so you say, well, that's very dangerous. Can you justify that? I think that's dangerous. And, and you can do that using language like this, right? That's part of how you use language. As you say, here is this giant form in space, and we're going to push this idea at you. And you say, well, I have that. I'm going to push this back. Uh, and that's a respectful thing, and you don't like it. But then the other side of that is the, the ad agency version, where we all are just wildly shouting out ideas, and it's like, what if you did next? And you're not invested. There's no argumentation happening, right? Uh, and that's just like we're fucking talking about structuralism and, and Marxism and, 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 and whatever. Those are just different ways to do it, and you have to come to that agreement before you start having a discussion. And that's something really important here is, you know, do you want me to make suggestions on how to fix your game? Uh, you check with that beforehand. Kind of like lost on the audience uh, looking for it. Well, it's awful if you don't right, like it. It's an had, assault. Like Cyrus, you're saying, I'm not looking for, like, yeah. like Stop. I don't want you to fix it because right. that's not mine. That's important. Yeah, and, 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 and so so I came to this panel after having ran a terrible playtest of my game, which is actually a complete game that um, shouldn't have been playtested here because it's already done, and I already said all the things I want to say. I just didn't have an extra hour. <laughs> so one thing I learned was this is definitely a three-hour game, <laughs> like it says on the, mm -hmm. the document. So... Um, so I'm like, well, what do I do with it? Because I really, you know, I really liked all the people in, in the room, and I really right. liked, like, the fact that we had this space to, to, to play and get this feedback. Mm -hmm. And yet I was like, whatever you will say will be hot air to me, because I'm already, I've already, I've already said my yeah. thing, and, and, yeah. and, you know, the thing that went wrong I already know about. So, you know, and, and yet people so have to then... then did you learn anything from that, or is this a bad play test? I learned, I learned 79 players, three hours, rigorous, and then also um, that I should have taken away some of the fun element from one part to add it to the fun element of the other part. Okay. But you could engage with that, not as a game, but as an idea. Yeah. And I could say, the game, whatever, I see what you did here, and this is why it's a bad idea. 
Yes. And it's because of X, Y, and Z. How do you counter that? This is why I'm getting out of this. Yeah. And that would be another way to engage with it. Right. You're saying it's a finished, it's a finished thing, but that thing itself can have flaws. Absolutely. My painting is terrible. Right. And but it's so, finished. Exactly. But it's finished. It's out in the world. Yeah. You're not going to take it out and like from painting. Yeah. yeah. So we're done. Um, I'm sorry we're three, three, four, five. No, no. I was like, one of yeah. There are people here who are so good at the game that are probably great.